And he said this, he said, look, there's actually six different styles of leadership. Great leaders know how to use all six because they all have a place and a time. Poor leaders use two, maybe three as their default styles. What behooves you to be a great leader is to know when to apply what style. And he pointed out that coaching was one of those styles and it was typically the least utilized of those styles. So for me, the metric isn't, are you a good coach or not? It's like, how's it going for you as a leader, as an influencer within your organization? And would it be helpful to be more coach-like? What's going on? Welcome to the show. My name is Ryan Caligiuri. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. Very excited to bring you our guest today, Michael Bungie Stanier. And uh, we're going to have a good conversation today. Hope you guys enjoy this interview. I really enjoyed talking to the man and uh, definitely sharing some good insights here. So let's kick this off with Michael Bungie Stanier, the author of The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. I'm very excited today to bring you our special guest, Michael Bungie Stanier. How you doing, Michael? I am excited. I'm well. I'm tripping over my tongue. I'm so excited to be here with you, Ryan. So it's all good. We connected uh, quite a while ago, and I read your book, The Coaching Habit. Say less, mm-hmm. ask more, and change the way you lead forever. Before we get into this a little bit more, I got to understand what made you write the book? Why is it so important to write a book about coaching? Like, What problems yeah. are you seeing out there that required this book in the marketplace? It's a great question. You know, when I talk to authors, I ask them the same question because honestly, writing a book is mostly a miserable experience. (laughs) You know, you get this germ of an idea and you're like, okay, I want to share it. And because you don't, because I don't know, writing a book feels important. You're like, okay, I'm going to write a book and you write a first draft and it's hard and you've written a crappy first draft and you write a second draft and that's not much better. And then by the time you've written the fifth draft, it's getting better, but you hate the book and you hate yourself. (laughs) And it takes really a long time, and then you read the statistics about how many people buy books, and you know, you suddenly realize that you're probably going to sell less than a thousand. So now you're getting paid about eight cents an hour to create this thing. So there's a thousand reasons to not write a book. But what I what made me actually do this was a twofold. The first is this is my fifth book, so I figured out it's not too painful for me to write a book. And I think I know how to get a book out into the world a little bit. Mm. Turns out that I I didn't know how to write this book at all. I wrote four or five complete versions of this book, which I had to just abandon because they weren't very good. And I kept pitching them to my fancy New York publisher, and they kept turning me down. And it was all pretty depressing. Mm. At the end, I was trying to write the book I thought they thought I thought they thought <laughs> I thought they thought I wanted to write. And it was all very confusing. But... So I was honestly pretty desperate to walk away from this. I was like, I'm, I'd be really happy not to write this book. And it kept coming back to it because I thought I had something interesting to say. And my take in this book is that, you know, it's really written primarily for managers and leaders and organizations, people who are engaged, people who are already doing a good job, but are thinking to themselves, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling a bit burnt out. I really wish there was a different way of leading. Mm. And, I just looked at how coaching shows up in organizations and I just wasn't that impressed. Uh, honestly, most people are like, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to train you to be coaches. 
most normal people don't want to be coaches. You know, they want to be managers or leaders or individual contributors. Hmm. And I was like, there's something really powerful about how do we help managers not be coaches, but be more coach-like. How do we help them bring the skills of being more coach-like to the way that they work? And what does that even mean? Honestly, it boils down to it. It's like, how do you stay curious a little bit longer? And how do you rush to action and advice giving a little bit slower? Because here's what I discovered, and you probably know this, Ryan. Most people are advice-giving maniacs. I mean, they love it. They love to leap in with ideas and suggestions and opinions and offers to help. For good reason, they're trying to be helpful. But the truth is, it actually is often not a very successful medium or long-term play. So that's the thing that kept me coming back, which is like, I think I've got something that could be useful. And the book is basically, here are the seven questions. If you just have seven good questions, this is what you need to lift your game. And I think that's what really simplified it for me was, number one, what you just mentioned there, I always thought that you know, being a good coach was getting advice and it was about them giving advice. And so it completely, that, that to me, I I love books that make me rethink uh, certain paradigms that I've always held to be true. And that was always a paradigm that I held to be true was that, you know, uh, a good coach is somebody who gives really good advice and that's not true at all. So if a coach, a really good coach isn't somebody who gives advice, what makes a good coach then, Michael? Well, I think it's a person that uses their experience and uses their wisdom and the journey they've walked not to give good advice, but to know what questions to ask so you allow the person you're coaching or being more coach-like with to actually flourish. So when it comes down to it, I think being a good coach, being more coach-like, as I like to put it, actually is less about a kind of your personality or your kind of way of seeing the world. It's like having the discipline to ask a few good questions and then shutting up and actually listening to the answer. Mm. Now, that sounds easy, but it's hard because we spend a lifetime being rewarded for and encouraged to give the answer, have the answer, provide the answer, you know, be an A student. And so it's really quite a shift in behavior, a shift in almost identity to say sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is, even if you think you have the answer, not to give it, but to actually take a breath and then ask a question that allows the other person to figure it out. I really, I really learned that after the fact when I had good coaches and I kind of look back and I'm saying, you know, the guys that made me, uh, you know, the, the coaches that really helped me the most were the ones that asked me questions and didn't give me mm-hmm. the advice. They allowed me to explore and find answers for myself. And you know what? They actually let me make mistakes. And they said, so what did you learn from yeah. that? And they yeah, asked me questions. It. Man, like those guys taught me the most. Well, here's what I love about what you're saying, Ryan, because what you're saying is what actually everybody I think, experiences in their own way. You know, when we go in and teach our programs and organizations, we don't say to them, here's our definition of coaching, like it or lump it. We actually say to them, think back to a time when you were well coached. You know, somebody made a difference, gave you a push, gave you the encouragement you needed, and you, you, you remember them as, you know, being figures in your life like that. And, you know, we get them to tell a story to a partner, and then between the two of them, they have to actually distill What did these coaches do that made the difference? And what's cool is, no matter where we do this in the world, whatever sector we do it in, people, you know, plus or minus 10% come up with the same basic list. They ask the questions. They let me figure it out for myself. They let me make mistakes, but not really big mistakes that were going to get me fired, but smaller mistakes that were going to help me learn. Mm -hmm. They had my back. 
I could trust them. Mm. They gave me the time I needed when I needed the time. They asked more questions. They gave a little less advice. It's the same list almost always. But it's actually, even though people know what that is, it's actually quite difficult to show up like that because we just have so many deep habits saying, no, no, jump in and tell them what to do. Mm, very interesting. And it makes this coaching thing, this this whole coaching thing, and and what I'm learning is that it's it's a lot more difficult than than what I thought because to me, you know, when I've you know talked about coaching people, it was always about sharing my experiences and giving mm. them some advice. And you know what I'm learning is it's not right at all. And so what I found intriguing was how you simplified um, something that's very complex um, into these seven right. questions. And so maybe you want to take a minute to um, share with us some of these seven questions and go into a little bit it. more detail. Yeah, and before I do that, here's the one thing I am going to say. Because there are certain people slightly freaking out going, wait, you mean all I can do is ask questions? How's that <laughs> going to be adding value? And what I'm not saying is, this is you, know, you never get to give advice ever again in your life. That would be kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I am saying you're trying to slow down your rush to advice giving. Slow down your rush to action. Not to say never give it, but can you just wait a little bit and just see what emerges? And what you might be surprised about is, how little advice you actually end up need to be giving because they've actually figured it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. So as you say, seven questions are in the book and we picked those seven questions to kind of cover kind of all the basic needs you have. But I'm going to share, I'm going to share a couple with you now. And I'm going to start with question number one. That's probably a good place to start. It's the kickstart question. Mm-hmm. And what's really powerful about this, Ryan, is it's a way of accelerating into a conversation more quickly. Because how basic belief is if you don't have you can't coach somebody in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach them. Hmm. So you've got to get into the real conversation fast. You don't have time for chit-chat or the slow meandering conversation that might one day get to the point. You've got to kind of go, look, in a compassionate, respectful way, let's get into it. And the question that we, we like, we, I advise starting off with is, what's on your mind? Hmm. The kickstart question, what's on your mind? And what's cool about that is it is both open and focused. It's open because it says to the other person, hey, your life, your, your time, what, you know, what, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to share? But it says to them, let's get, into the, let's get into something that matters, something that you're excited about or worried about or you know, consumed by. You know, let's talk about that. Hmm. You know, so somebody comes into your office and he starts talking, and you're like, okay, just, just let's get into it. What's actually on your mind at the moment? Mm. Bang, you're into it. You know, your one-to-one meetings, instead of the usual slightly dreary reporting out of facts and data, this is what I've done over the last week or two, rather than that, reinvent your one-to-one meetings and just simply go, look, I know you've been do- you're doing a ton, but to make the most of the time we have on the- now, what's on your mind? Mm. And what you're going to find is it accelerates us into a more useful conversation more quickly. Oh, I love that. Very easy. Easy question, but I'm telling you, it's an open-ended question that can really make someone think deeper about, you know, really, what am I here yeah. for? No, I like exactly. that. And we call this the, one of the bookend questions because it's a pretty solid way to start almost every conversation. The other bookend question, question number seven in the book, the final question, is a way of wrapping up almost any conversation. This is good one-to-one, in a team meeting, over email, over IM, all of that. And we call this the learning question. Because what you want to be doing is you want to help people learn. Because when they learn, they become smarter, they become more uh, self-sufficient, they more, become more competent, 
they become more confident, they become more autonomous, all these great things that you want. You want people to learn, and your job is to help them learn. But here's the deal. You have to understand how people learn for that to work. And, and this is not going to surprise anybody when they hear it, people don't learn when you tell them stuff. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if they did. But you know what? Most good advice, most opinion, most of that stuff just floats in one ear and then floats out the other one pretty quickly. They don't even learn when they do stuff. I mean, they do a bit, but not really. They learn when they have that moment to reflect on what just happened. Mm. And that's what this question is all about. The learning question, you know, at the end of an interaction, before they rush off, just say to them, hey, look, before you go, what was most useful or most valuable for you here? What was most useful or most valuable for you here? Hmm. And what that does is a few things. The first is, it makes them stop and figure out where the value was. Because you may be thinking to yourself, I was so good in that conversation. I was so useful. I was so wise. I was so practical. They're thinking, I just got to get out of here. And I don't even know what that was about. So when you say what was most useful or most valuable, you're forcing them to extract the value. Hmm. Secondly, you get feedback. So you get to hear what you were doing that was useful and was valuable. And thirdly, Cunningly, you're now reframing every conversation you have with this person as a useful, valuable conversation. So you become a more valued asset in their life. Hmm. So those are two questions to start us off, the the bookend questions. What's on your mind? A great way to accelerate into conversations more quickly. And what was most useful or most valuable for you here? A great way to extract the value of a conversation. Hmm. Those are great questions. And again, very simple to ask. It really puts a focus on them and it makes them think deeper. And I think that's the key with all these questions, with all seven of them. It just forces us to think deeper. Like one of the questions that after I read the book, one of the questions that I've used quite often is, um, what's the real challenge here for you? Oh, I love that. Oh, me yeah, too. The, the the focus question, you know, and to yeah, me, exactly. to, to me, I've used that a number of times, and it really makes um, your team think um, far more deeper about the real challenge. And you know, we we, we face a problem, um, you know, in a certain with a certain client or on a certain project, and by asking what the real challenge is here for you, they stop and they think about it for a second. And again, what, it's that what, silence piece, you know, and you yeah. just let them think, and they come back, and it allows them to think more critically about it. Yeah, and, and what's useful for people to hear is just how that question is constructed because it's a very deliberate choice of words. Because you could ask somebody, so what's the challenge here? You know, you can imagine how it goes. So what's on your mind? Somebody goes, blah, 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 blah. And you go, okay, so what's the challenge here? And what they're going to give you is a pretty quick summary of what they think the challenge is. Mm-hmm. But it immediately gets more interesting when you go, so what's the real challenge here? See how that now makes people go, okay, there's more than one. What's the, what's the most important of all these challenges? But I really think that it kind of amps up to become its best version when you ask, what's the real challenge here for you? Mm-hmm. And what this does is it swings the spotlight from the problem to the person dealing with the problem. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm talking to you about a branding challenge, and I go, Ryan, what's the challenge? And you go, the brand this, the brand that, the brand whatever. But if I go, so Brian, what's the real challenge here for you? It's like, Michael, I'm, I don't know how to break this to the client because they're really grumpy and I don't like dealing with grumpy people. Uh. <laughs> and now we get to actually deal with the challenge, but also how you are facing up to that challenge. So we kind of get 
two two bangs for the price of one for that. That's exactly right. So, I mean, we don't have to go through the rest of the questions as I, I really want people to, to dig deeper into it themselves and really mm-hmm. think think deeper about it. But what I'm more interested in sharing is is maybe some of your experiences. So what made you come to the conclusion that, you know, a part of being a great coach is asking these questions? Like what kind of experiences have you had that led you to this point where, you know what, to be a great coach um, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, that make up becoming a great coach, but these seven yeah. questions, like how did you decide on these seven questions? Yeah, you know, uh, it was trial and error is how I've done it. Mm. Um, I, I, you, could, you could say that I started my coaching career such as it is probably back as a teenager where I spent too much time, you know, in a car at 2 a.m. in the morning talking to another teenager about how terrible our lives were. Um, and asking questions as part of that, but honestly not really knowing what I was doing. And so at university, when I got there, I did some uh, telephone crisis counseling, kind of suicide counseling. Mm. So I could, and that's where I started learning about specific questions that had specific power and usefulness. And then in the early 2000s, I guess, when I moved to Canada, uh, it's, I'd hired a coach of my own, and then I did my own coach training. And so I started watching what these master coaches were doing that seemed to be making the difference. You know, what made them really great coaches? And they all had their models, and they had their listening techniques and all of that. But it seemed to me that the thing that was most consistent and kind of the bedrock for being more coach-like and being effective is the quality of the questions that they asked. So I, I collected questions. I mean, I just, every time I came across a good coaching question, I'm like, oh, I like that. I'll write that one down. Um, and I just had a pile of questions that I, I you know, got from various sources. And so when I started writing this book, I was like, here they are, 193 questions. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a terrible book. <laughs> it's a terrible book. And so I played around. I was 11 questions. I was four questions. And, you know, which questions actually kind of cover the most ground because my goal was to write the shortest book I could that would be the most useful. Mm. You know, I have this thing about business books. I mean, I know that's the part of the Cut the Crap podcast is like, you know, let me tell you about this business book that I've discovered and I've read and how it might be useful. Um, So I bet you read a ton of books like I do. And I find, you know, the, the really brilliant business books are the ones that have minimum fluff and maximum kind of lean muscle. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, of just filler that goes into too many books. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I have to hear about Southwest Airlines one more time as an example as a great company, yeah, I know they're a great company, <laughs> but are you seriously telling me you couldn't come up with a new, original, different story other than trotting out Southwest Airlines That's again? right. That's right. <laughs> so... For me, it was like, okay, I'm trying to write something that is elegant. And by elegant, what that means for me is it has uh, a beauty to it and, and a usefulness to it. Mm-hmm. So it's about stripping out as much as I could. You got to imagine, you know, for for your line of business, you know, it's, we didn't actually introduce you and, and what you do for a living. Michael, did you want to just tell us quickly a little bit about, <laughs> about what you do for a living? Oh, so um, my company is called Box of Crayons, and here's our kind of one-liner, we give busy managers the practical tools so they can coach in 10 minutes or less. There we go. Uh, it's just that we're a training company. We work in organizations. 
you know, there are three types of ways coaching shows up in organizations. One is kind of executive coaches. You hire an external coach to come in and work with a high potential person or a senior leader or something like that. Secondly, you identify people within your organization to train them as coaches, so you know, HR business partners or something like that. And thirdly, you go, we want all of our managers and leaders to be more coach-like and kind of rising tide lifts all boats sort of things. And that's the thing that we do. We're mm-hmm. focused on giving all managers those practical tools. Michael, is there such a thing as a bad coach? Like are there people who just aren't or shouldn't be coaches? Well, pr- yes. Um, I think there are, um, but it tends to show up as, look, you're either more coach-like or you're not. You're either asking good questions or you're giving advice. And what I think it means is rather than considering it you're a bad coach or a good coach, it's more on the lines of how effective are you as a leader? You know, when you look at the study, the work by Daniel Goldman, uh, he's the guy who popularized emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I think, he wrote a Harvard Business Review article called Leadership That Gets Results. And he said this. He said, look, there's actually six different styles of leadership. Great leaders know how to use all six because they all have a place and a time. Poor leaders use two, maybe three as their default styles. What behooves you to be a great leader is to know when to apply what style. And he pointed out that coaching was one of those styles, and it was typically the least utilized of those styles. So for me, the metric isn't, are you a good coach or not? It's like, how's it going for you as a leader, you know, as an influencer within your organization? And would it be helpful to be more coach-like? What's the best way that somebody can really get started um, on this path? So that you know, they, they're going to pick up your book. They're going to read it. They're going to get some great questions in mind. They're going to learn the types of questions to ask, how to ask them. Um, mm. You know, what's, what's the number one piece of advice that you would give somebody who wants to become a better coach? Well, it's to try and do it slower than you might think. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but, you know, in this book, there are effectively eight chapters. The final seven are of these seven questions that we've been talking about. The first one is about habit building. It's called the coaching habit very deliberately because what you're looking to do is to change the way you behave. And what is changing the way you behave? It's all about building new habits, managing old habits. And if you don't understand the science and the, and the, and the approach to how do I actually mindfully, deliberately build new habits, it's just that much harder for you. So, you know, Buy the book if you if you like. I'd love that, obviously. But honestly, you can go into thecoachinghabit.com. You can download the first two or three chapters. That first chapter is all about habits. And what I would say is figure out how habits work because that's going to help you not just be more coach-like if you want to do that. It's going to help you have a better life because you get to actually build habits around all sorts of things. And if you are going to pursue the coaching piece and you've figured out the new habit formula and how habits work, it would be pick one question to start building strong habits about. Get that mastered before you move on to the next question. Fantastic advice, Michael. Thank you so much for that. Um, You know, just a quick plug for you. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've got a podcast. It's called The Great Work Podcast. It's been going for six years, I think, seven years. Mm-hmm. Kind of pre-podcast podcast. That's right. Um, we've had like three, close to 400 people on now, I think. And they tend to be people who I think can help you, a listener, do less good work and more great work. And what I mean by that is 
Uh, less good work is kind of your everyday day job work. Great work is the work that has more impact and the work that has more meaning. So there's that. And later on this year, 2017, we'll be launching the Coaching Habit Podcast as well. We're just brewing that up at the moment. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your book, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. Thank you so much. It's a total pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, my friends, that's a wrap. Thank you so much once again for tuning in to the show again. Always means a lot to me that you do. If you enjoyed this week's episodes, then please go online, rate and review the show. It would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed my synopsis of The Coaching Habit and you want to dig deeper into it, then please, by all means, go out, pick up the book, support Michael and uh, all the great work that he's doing. But that's a wrap, my friends. So we will catch you back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, and of course, the interviews on Wednesday. But until then, have yourselves a productive week. Take it easy. I love you guys. Yeah, yeah.